0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as usual, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, Headlined by a light heavyweight bout, Sean Strickland, Nasigen, Imovov, two middleweights taking the short notice fight up a division after a fight week injury to Kelvin Gastelum, who had a tooth sewn back into place this week, which I didn't even realize you could do
2: that. Yeah. Sewn using what? The 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 root?
1: I, you know, if I knew, if I, if I didn't know that it was even a thing until two days ago, I, I have no clue how it's done now. All I know is there was a video of somebody with a needle in his mouth, and I was like, I'm not watching that.
2: <laughs> yeah, God knows. Okay. Yeah. I had no idea what the specific injury even was. I did see a picture yeah. of him with a bloody mouth, but yeah, he
1: he got his he, he got a tooth knocked out. I don't know if maybe more than that because fighters with missing teeth. I mean, come on, like that's an injury to stop a to stop you fighting. I, I, I don't.
2: Yeah. Gotta... I mean, if it happened no, the days before the
1: fight, then I would be concerned. Yeah. I I would I wouldn't I would not. There there are a few circumstances under which I would ever. Ever take a professional MMA bout, having just had a tooth knocked out of my head is not one of those
2: circumstances. Um also circumstances (laughs) since we're on the a lot of money. A (laughs) lot of money. How many, how much money would it have to be to fight with a tooth knocked out?
1: To fight with a tooth knocked out?
2: Probably a million dollars. Because under, understanding the generosity of the UFC, Kelvin Gaslam I mean, it, it would have yeah. to be more than eight thousand dollars because that's how much Kelvin was about to get. <laughs> so yeah, I
1: think I think we're talking like a million. Because I'd want to be able to change to comfortably pay for any prolonged damage forever. You know. I mean, in general, if I'm gonna take pro fights, it I would I would have to be making enough money where the potential injury I could suffer in said pro fight would be very fairly compensated, because mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of personal. Uh, desire for guts and glory mm-hmm.
2: how much money do you get a limb amputated let's have these discussions instead of talking about this under we're talking about these prelims <laughs> you, know, limb amputated. Um, I mean, you don't really have to answer i just no i don't, I, I don't care about these fights <laughs> i i don't know uh 30 million dollars let's just say ballpark like i'm not sure you could pay me to have a limb amputated
1: I don't it would so. it would have to be enough that I could a get really 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 good high end like I mean you know. I play
2: I play guitar you know like you I mean you, you
1: you it would have to not be your jerking off hand
2: No god no that's <laughs> what I mean by playing guitar too that's what I mean Yeah call it. yeah no I yeah my my quote unquote fretting hand Yeah you know <laughs> you do fret a lot Yeah Some guitarists play a C major seven. I play a C minor three and a half. Um, (sighs) But anyway, (laughs) yeah, it would have to
1: be it would have to be uh, enough money that like I would just I would never even have to think about working again to get a lame amputated. Yeah, you're. You're in permanent disability territory Yeah, there.
2: yeah. You could take a toe off me maybe, but not a limb. Definitely not. Yeah. Anyway.
1: uh, Yeah, we're going to talk about the prelims here for this UFC Vegas 67 fight card, which are prelims. There's a lot of fighters here looking to make some kind of splash. I mean, they're not bad. They'll be fun fights. I don't think there's any
2: fights on this. There's a prelims. lot of perfectly reasonably booked fights. They are not the fights that uh, make me think. UFC card. Let's just say yeah, that. The,
1: there are a lot of really good. It's, it the the prelims are a solid, you know, cage warriors LFA main yeah. card still without a main event kind It'd of.
2: It'd be thing. a very solid night of fights by the standards of uh, those much lesser promotions. For sure. Yeah. It's not the but, bookings, it's the it's the it's the names, it's the significance.
1: Yeah, there's of, of no significance. There's... And for a lot of these fighters too, that you know, they're they're untested at a level that you don't generally want to see out of the
2: UFC, you know? Right, like right. It's th- a lot of newbies.
1: There are some guys like uh Nick Fior on here and mm-hmm. uh Nick Aguirre who seem especially raw. Mm-hmm. And uh You know, but it is what it is. So Mm -hmm. we're going to dive in here and talk about this middleweight featured prelim bout between Abdul Razak Hassan, a guy I am really very surprised to see is still in the UFC. Mm -hmm. And uh, Claudio Ribeiro, who it's good to see get a UFC contract because he appears to be a really fun prospect
2: yeah yeah he's uh he's clearly a fantastic athlete. He's got a uh, a knack for counter punching and when I say knack, I mean the guy's got like timing and distance mm-hmm. he he can feel you know like when a, a weird exchange or something has like created some leverage he knows which shot to go with it's usually it's the left hook mm-hmm. um he's he's technically a complete mess. Yeah. Yeah. But uh he is a prospect and so uh by that metric, uh yeah, he looks interesting. Yeah. And this looks like a goddamn slobber knocker. I mean Oh yeah. If we're making this distinction between uh relevant fights and you know, just good fights, fights you would absolutely stop on the street to watch until it was over, um, this is a good fight, no question, because it looks like a m like a violent mess. Mm-hmm real um, car crash fight a real car crash and I, I don't really know who to pick no
1: to me be either. honest
2: like. I would say one thing that puts me slight I mean other than um experience mm-hmm. one thing that puts me slightly towards uh, Al Hassan is uh the fact that he actually can grapple he doesn't usually but he can Mm-hmm. And, uh, appears to have really bad wrestling defense. Yeah. Uh, It looks like a serious weakness of his. I mean, he had a, which fight was it that I remember this from? I think it was his fight with, uh, Johnny Gregory. I guess this is a thing by the way, in Brazil to spell Johnny with one N and the H in the wrong place.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh... You, you know my feelings on the uh <laughs> por- on the Portuguese and the, the Brazil and Brazil
2: by proxy. Yeah, it's not even a Portuguese, it's a Brazil thing. Well yeah. Brazil because like a, America's a colony a colonial nation and we also have like we don't have like the tradition of uh Christian names that like the actual European countries do. Mm-hmm. Or like in half of them it's literally illegal to name your kid something stupid. Yeah. Here we name our kids whatever, so it's like a huge mishmash. Brazil has that too. So, yeah. Hence why you get. Yeah, but this is now like four Johnnies I've seen where the H is just inexplicably in the wrong place. What's going on? I don't know. Why include the H at all? (laughs) The worst part
1: is, though, that like they're also a a nation that is entirely willing to know somebody exclusively by a nickname. they're, They're. natural adult life like not <laughs> yeah, like oh my name's gregory but my friends call me greg it's like a whole nation of people named scooter yes. who you know <laughs> their real name is doug but everybody knows them as scooter exclusively yeah. so his name could be you know joaquin uh you know joe kim silva the fourth yeah. And probably. everybody just called him Johnny Gregory because it was like a really cruel joke about a name that he couldn't pronounce.
2: Yeah. That's that's some like butt of the joke character on some Brazilian children's show that we've Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, this guy's a real Johnny Gregory. Yeah. A real Jahani Gregory. Um okay. Enough about that. We have yeah. to talk about the actual fights. That yeah. anyway, that was the fight I watched. Johnny Gregory is a is a kickboxer i mean you can tell he like he got into huge trouble constantly because all he could think to do when he got into range was kick with no Mm -hmm. setup and he kept getting nailed for it yeah um but he uh he definitely landed lots of kicks and despite being clearly a kickboxer he had zero difficulty in taking hibeto down Mm -hmm. um you know like not even with like a strong fast entry just like running into him against the cage, grab his legs, huh, he's off his feet. Yeah. Um. I, I, I guess I just got to go for all Hassan. I think it's going to be a car crash, and that could yeah. very easily be a fight he loses. It's happened before, but um, you know, this isn't the guy that uh, Hibedo is used to fighting, because like, he's fought yeah. nobody, really. He's fought absolutely nobody. This isn't the kind of guy who's going to be cowed by a firefight. He is going to be completely willing to trade blows with you. Mm-hmm. And he has other skills, so I'm taking Al Hassan. Yeah. No,
1: I I honestly kind of have to go the same way. Uh, one of the big things too is uh somebody clued me in on where to find uh Ribeiro versus uh Albert Kel- Albu- Albuquerque. What? Kelis Albuquerque. Uh, his, the, his fight with uh.
2: Who's also also Brazilian? Yeah. Is there a Brazilian man named Kelis Albuquerque? Yeah, really. And that fight. Don't don't worry. I was saying his actual last name is Santos. Is
1: is it? Yeah. Kelis Albuquerque. (laughs) Known as Kel Furia. And you can bet that that's exclusively what people call him. And it's probably not because he's like ferocious. It's probably because he gets mad really easily, knowing the Brazilian nickname uh-huh. conventions that, like, he just has a really short temper, and so everybody calls him Kelfiria. <laughs>
2: I love Brazil. <laughs> I really do.
1: They they do nicknames better than anybody
2: else. They unquestionably. Do, they, I don't know if that's true, but they certainly do nicknames. Yeah.
1: But anyway, uh, he... So that fight... It's just every, you know, you had him, you had, basically you had w- the one opponent that, uh, Ribeiro had fought with enough experience to know what to do when things got bad. Mhm. And he just held him on the fence. Mm-hmm. For like four rounds.
2: Yeah.
1: While Ribeiro got really tired.
2: That does not surprise me in the slightest.
1: And that is actually something that uh Al Hassan does really well. Is sure. he will just push forward and put people on the fence and hold stick them there. hmm And he's got experience. He he certainly can be knocked out. Uh so you know, Chaos Williams, but Chaos Williams is the only one who did it. Chaos Williams is a mm-hmm. humongous puncher. Uh to his credit, Ribeiro looks like he might be too, or Hibero looks like he might be too, but I am going to expect much more likely that this will be a fight that uh, Hibero really experiences somebody who he'll hit really hard and they just won't go away and it'll become a slog. Mm-hmm. And once it becomes a slog, Alisson probably just has... Just barely enough tools to to right. be the better fighter.
2: Yeah, it helps um, that Al Hassan is himself a beast of an athlete, which I'm yeah. gonna guess uh, Kel Furia Albuquerque Santos is not. No, it was not he, at all. His record on topology reading uh, a 24-20 at the time of yeah. that fight. Mm-hmm. Um. And so like more impactful to just get in there and tie up with Hibeto. The other thing about Al-Hassan, he looks like a dude who would gas instantly, but he he usually doesn't. He gasses, but he keeps his power. That's the thing. He continues being a, a freak uh, yeah. after he gasses. So yeah, it just makes comparatively less uh, difference. Yeah,
1: and that fight he had with uh, Joaquin Buckley, Yeah, that was a hell of a heartfelt like gutsy performance. Yeah, it really was. So if he can just hang in and have like you know a close ugly first round, I think he can make just enough
2: happen to win the rest of this fight. Mhm. He might, also might get slept. He's, he might also get slept. They both Yeah. cuz yeah. they're going to have some insanely stupid exchanges.
1: Yeah. I'm 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 expecting this to look like uh you know, uh, yeah, actually, just a lot like the Joaquin Buckley fight, honestly, where there was just a lot more grappling than you'd expect, and it got a lot uglier and it got a lot closer.
2: Yeah. One you main know. difference I will say is um, Al Hassan is actually pretty stocky by modern middleweight standards. Yeah. it is a pretty big guy. True. Uh, just something, something he has in common with Chaos Williams that they're both yeah. significantly taller than Al Hassan.
1: Yeah, I just don't think he's prepared for this no. step up but I'm excited to see him here. Like I, He's one of those fighters that if he gets a little money in his pocket mm-hmm. and he gets a little time at seeing what the next level is, I could easily see him improving
2: yeah, yeah. in dramatic ways. He's a very fun fighter. You know.
1: Uh, all right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Matej Rubeski. Against Nick Fiore or Fiore, I
2: don't know. Yeah, he's American, so it's impossible to say. Yeah.
1: And um, really, this is a grapplers battle, mm-hmm. pretty much purely. Uh, Fiore is uh, he's out of that New England cartel. I think he's a uh, Henzo Gracie black belt or Henzo Gracie grappler. I don't know if he's a black belt or not. And you know, you go out and you watch his fights and he basically just, you know, he will test the water with, he, he's very Pat Sabatini-like. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll see him test a little bit with some strikes you like, oh yeah, you shouldn't do that. You should go <laughs> do other
2: things. He's like, my coach told me I'm supposed to do this. I'm not allowed yeah. to just instantly shoot on the guy because they expect it.
1: But my coach isn't Henry Hoofed. So Yeah, unfortunately. With any of the, like, necessary requisite base level striking tools to just lean on.
2: Yeah, my coach told me you've got to do some striking, and that is literally all he told me about striking.
1: Yeah. um, He doesn't look like the best athlete in the world. He has fought only cans, including two bouts against Jay Ellis.
2: Mm-hmm. Um lot of these records on this on these prelims yeah a lot of can crushing i mean granted because many of these guys are like eight zero. yeah so who are they supposed to be fighting but yeah i mean i have no pr- but before you before you hit 10 fights in
1: mma yeah i have n- i don't care who you're fighting it's yeah. just i'm going to look at that and be like okay well you're about to take a big step up are you ready for it
2: exactly yeah you, you have to mention it yeah um so
1: Fiori has some. Or Fiori has some nice wrestling to lean on. Like he can hit a good power double leg, a good reactive shot, get himself right into uh, position to start his submission grappling. But it's absolutely impossible to tell how functional that is mm-hmm. because his opponents have been so overmatched that, like him hitting a nice reactive double on somebody who has. The, the athleticism of a, a wet noodle right but you're now turning around and you're fighting mateusz uh Rubezki here who is just a fire plug wrestle grappler
2: yeah
1: absolutely you know arm just you know like uh oh, what's that who is that german judo guy um
2: nick oh nick hein
1: nick hein just like that Nick Hein build of, mm-hmm. you know, stumpy. He's only five foot seven, yeah. but I I'm not at all surprised if he could never fight below
2: lightweight. Mm-hmm. Basically, his his whole forearm is just wrist.
1: Yeah, just like, and uh, I gotta pick Rebeski. Mm-hmm. If these two are about to tie up in a wrestle grappling battle, right. I have to pick him to get all the positions he wants. He has fought insanely better competition. Yeah. And a lot more of it. And, uh, you know, uh, with Fiore, all of his submissions, he has one triangle. Everything else is a rear naked choke. Mm -hmm. And if Rubezki isn't going to let him get dominant grappling positions, I don't think he's going to, pull off a triangle or an arm bar off his back no. so i'll take
2: uh I'd like, for- s- I'd like to see him even lock up a triangle that wouldn't just instantly slip off yeah no kidding because uh, Rubeski's, you know necklace yeah uh, um yeah not Rubeski doesn't have a necklace he is necklace just to clarify. yeah <laughs> he may have a necklace i'm not sure where he'd put it though
1: yeah he, he, um, <laughs> <laughs> it started as a necklace It ended up as a belt.
2: Um Yeah, no, I have nothing to add. Uh yeah. it's a it's a pure not even a pure experience pick. It is I would be tempted if I had seen Fiore's make his style work. Um and it it quite possibly will work against better opponents when he faces a more winnable, a more beatable, yeah. higher class of opponent. I mean a good this is always a thing with evaluating prospects. Like a good move is a good move. At a certain point, you can't just say, I know nothing about how good this guy is because everyone he's fought is a can. Yeah. If he's in there and you're seeing good technique, mm-hmm. um, then, yeah, you have to assume that will extend to a certain. And, and uh, he's, you know, he's fighting cans, but he's blowing through them. Yeah, yeah. He's doing exactly what he should be but doing.
1: All first round finishes, except mm-hmm you know every every MMA fight he's had is a first round finish like yeah. if you're only going to be fighting cans that's what i want to see
2: sure perfectly solid looking guy for a 6-0 prospect yep. um his the style with which he beats all of these cans is the style that rebesky beats much better fighters with yes he also just looks like a superior athlete yes so uh there's really no reason at all to pick fiore
1: the only yeah the only reason is just size is just assuming that f- at five foot seven Robeski cannot be a competitive lightweight yeah see
2: but I don't think this is necessarily the level where I I don't expect yeah this to be the point where we find out definitively he's too small no
1: I'm sure you know like at at sixteen and one I ha- I have to feel like you know fighting fighting guys like you know. Who are you know twelve and two or fighting twelve and two Magomed Magomedov mm-hmm. who's six foot one? I ha- I feel like you know this isn't a step up from what Rebeski's already beat on the regional scene. Yeah, definitely not. Um, and yeah, I'll, also I gotta say, speaking of good nicknames, I I'm absolutely a fan of Rabezki. I just wish that they would. I, I wish that I could trust Buffer to just be like Mateusz Ribesti and that leave it like that,
2: you well, know. That is a good nickname, right? Wow, a, a rare like a, a rare example too of a of an MMA fighter not being insanely self serious where he can't sort of like make a joke about his <laughs> yeah. own name. Yeah. How many MMA fighters have like fan anointed nicknames where it's sort of a joke about their name, sure. and they just they just cannot accept it.
1: No, it took it took it took uh, Ryan Bader so so long to be willing to yeah have yeah
2: the master yeah. And then, and even like yeah even like cool ones like Ryan Bader seems like a pretty easy-going dude. Oh okay, yeah, he's I've Robert, talked to him about it. Robert Whittaker seems like a guy who doesn't take himself too seriously and he, even he resisted Bobby Knuckles for so long. So long. He's barely accepted it now. Yeah. That was only when he found out he could sell T-shirts. Yeah. Anyway, easy pick for Rabisti, who I'm now a fan of. Uh.
1: Rubisti opened at minus 450, dropped to minus 604, and is at minus 764 at the moment. Fiore opened at plus 350, jumped up to plus 438, and is at plus 520 right now. I believe, too, yeah, this was originally supposed to be Omar Morales. So Fiore is stepping in on uh, just like two weeks' notice. So that's a better, even better reason to pick uh, Rubisti. Absolutely. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout Javid Basharat, Mateus Mendo- or yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, Mateus Mateush something like that. Mendoza. Mendoza is, is how I'm going to say it. Yep. Um y- y- this is probably one of the better fights on this. Yeah. On this the prelims. It might be the is, best what- one.
1: This is a really well-booked fight. Mendonza's is another dude that, like, great pickup from the UFC, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, to get one of these guys at 10-0. I guess he did have to come through the Contender Series. I was going to say to just mm-hmm. pick him up without having to making somebody like that come through Contender Series.
2: Cause, yeah, it's weird they made him because he had what should have been the Contender Series type UFC entrance win. Because he yeah. also fought a bunch of nobodies. And yeah. then he took on serious it, veteran Pedro Nobre. Yeah. Um. And you know it was a very tough fight. It was his first real test, and he he hung tough and fought very well for a guy yeah. who was only nine and zero or eight and zero, whatever. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, but he he also just uh crushed the dude on the Contender Series, so no yeah. problem, I guess. Yep. I I I would like in in a perfect world, I'd like to see the Contender Series be more
1: the kind of place where the UFC is like. Oh, we don't know about this guy. He's like 15 and five, but his five losses were early in his career, and he's won like seven straight. Let's take a look at him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like we got a guy who's like nine and zero, ten and zero, and you know what? Uh, Looks like a beast. <laughs> Twenty-three. Yeah. Like, what do you need to put? Like, just sign him and develop.
2: You know? Yeah. Well, they can't develop. That's the problem. I know. That's the problem. Um, this is the only do. chance you get to develop, basically. Is yeah. Having said that, um, yeah. this is a reasonable first fight, I think. This is not a, not a, a walkover by any means. The UFC no, doesn't not. really give those. Um, but neither does Basharat necessarily look like the kind of guy I would confidently pick over Mendoza. Like, for really? example, what in some respects, in some respects, I, I think the thing with Basharat, and uh, he has impressed me more than I expected him to. Yeah. I recall instantly...
1: Yeah. Uh, we, writing look, him off we, as a when we first saw him, we were like Conor McGregor clone. Uh-huh. Can't do Conor McGregor things.
2: Yeah. Turns out he's not only is he a little better at the counter punching than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um he's also just like way tougher than I had yeah. to expect. He's yeah. very resilient and likes to fight. Yep. So we've
1: seen him get hit with all the heavy shots already in his career, yep. and he can take them and function no problem.
2: Yeah, he got his face split open like 40 seconds into the fight with Tony Gravely and mm-hmm. uh, fought a super tough fight and came back and won. So, um, yeah, Basharat is solid. He's um, he's uh, largely a boxer, though, which is the main thing, because um, Mendonca likes to kick. Mm-hmm. He is himself very susceptible to kicks. Yeah, like Every time I've seen one throw a calf kick or any other kind of low kick at him, he just eats it completely. I have seen him like start limping 30 seconds into a fight because somebody just whacked him with a calf kick. Uh-huh. Um, Cause he's very much a pull counter kind of guy. His uh-huh. feet are planted. He wants to throw big power. So his feet are planted and he is ready at a moment's notice to lean back and leave those planted feet right where they are. Yeah. Which means you, you faint this dude and hit him with a, with a low kick um, quite possibly, too, the wrestling that Basharat showed against Tony Gravely, an opening for that here as well. Um, I hadn't thought of that before, but uh, Mendoza also definitely looks like he has the habits of a guy who can be fainted into putting every ounce of energy and thought into a the idea of like a, a headshot counter with just a faint. And then you take his hips out from under him and, and take him down. Um. Yeah, that was another thing I was impressed with. Basharat, he hit some really nice shots on Tony Gravely. Who saw, yeah. who saw that coming? Yeah. Um. So yeah, he he has maybe uh Basharat's B game could trouble him. He's not really a low kicker at all. He's very much like a straight line boxer, and yeah. from that perspective, that makes this look like it could be quite a fifty-fifty fight. That might not end like a fifty-fifty fight. Because both of these dudes throw power. They're both yeah. accurate. Um, and they are both lo- tightly coiled looking to uh, to counter the moment their opponent overextends. I am going to take Basharat. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think he, he has shown he has a lot more breadth to his game than I thought. Yeah. And I also trust him. One thing he does when he gets in trouble is to turn on the Conor McGregor jets and start pressuring and bullying. Yep. And this is not something I think the, any Mendonca opponent so far has really had the courage or the ability to do. Yeah. Even Pedro Nobre who gave him a lot of trouble was like, he was definitely playing the part of the crafty older fighter where he was moving around he was trying to set traps. He was countering and then skittering away, trying to be like active and diverse. He wasn't trying to put the fear into Mendoza, Yeah. And that is something Basharat likes to do. Yep. Um, and whether he comes in planning to do it, when the fight gets a little crazy, as it pretty much always does, he will start doing that. He will start pressuring and putting combinations together and uh yeah, I, I just uh, at this point, you know, showing how completely changeable my mind is, <laughs> I trust him more. Um, yeah. And this is now Mendoza's chance against for me to be like, I shouldn't have written this guy off as shallow. Turns out when he has to, he there's a lot more to his game. But I, I you know, I saw the Nobre fight. I didn't see that much, that much depth. I saw. Yeah a younger man hitting harder, basically.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's a big thing. There, there are a couple other things uh, for me here. One of them, when Mendoza uh, is on... When he gets the chance to pressure and come forward, he gets pretty wild and
2: sloppy. Yeah, he throws himself into the clinch way too much for a guy he, who... Yeah.
1: And it really... It, like, you know, he, he, he has some good clean power uh, that he can throw and land but it it turns him into much more of a fighter who has to rely on physical bullying than it necessarily seems like he should need to be Mm -hmm. Uh, you know he's got a lot of technique that he can bring to the game but when he when he's on the front foot and just kind of getting wild and chasing people down Mm -hmm. he ends up in spots where it's just like okay well now it's a battle of strength and one of the things in Boshrot's corner is that, you know, he's like three inches taller than Mendoza. He's, yeah, he's a big bantamweight and Mendoza at five foot six. We, you know, he might be a future flyweight, frankly, you know? Yeah, could be. And, uh, you know, there the, the like part, one of the things that I am a little cautious of is it could be that Mendoza has some really crafty jujitsu that uh, has not had a chance to shine at the the kind of level where I would trust it. Mm-hmm. He's got an arm bar and a Kimura and a triangle choke to his credit, which are all, you know, things that they could work really well to catch somebody like Boshrod off guard, who. He's actually a pretty good composed wrestler and grappler, but he also is a very calm. He's a fighter who fights with a lot of confidence that he can get into a, that if he's in, if he's in control, he's not Mm -hmm. in trouble. Mm -hmm. So there's a chance that he could maybe get caught out by something like that. But in general, what I've seen from Boshrod against gravely and Jones is a very tough, very composed fighter. Who is just really good at sticking to the tools that he wants to use and is good at picking his shots He eats a lot of shots still he you know he's definitely like pressuring into the pocket to create exchanges where he can counter and that means eating often eating the first shot his opponent throws.
2: yeah and he's not nearly as slick as he thinks he is that is still not true yeah not nearly as slick as he thinks he thinks
1: he is and all that. But he's durable enough to take it, and so mm-hmm. unless proven otherwise, I'm gonna keep my faith in that over uh, against a smaller Mendonca who is uh, just a little wilder
2: and a little less structured. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'll emphasize again, just that like I have seen Basharat experience seriously difficult pushback and respond really well. Yeah, fight better as a result, and um. Mendoza has had one meaningful opponent in his career and it was not somebody who stressed him out, who pressured yeah. him, who made him uncomfortable. Um so I have I have no idea how he responds to that. Could be great. Could surprise me like Bashrot, but so Basharat has now proven that he is a he's a tough mf. Yep. Uh
1: all right. Odds on the bout. Bashrot is the favorite. Opened at minus 260, currently down at minus 350. Mendoza opened at plus 220, jumped up to plus 285, currently plus 271. I, I get it. Bashrat's he's had a couple good wins now. He's more proven, but mm-hmm. I like Mendoza. He's a good prospect, and I'm interested to see what he can do in this fight. Yeah, for sure. Was this how this fight was originally booked? I don't feel I like think,
2: I think it might be a change, actually.
1: Uh, no, I don't I'm not seeing anything on oh, actually I can I checked topology. that's always the better place to go for fight changes. Borat nope, this was oh. this is how the fight was originally booked.
2: so mm-hmm. I think it's a reasonable booking honestly.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean it's kind of a step sideways for Boshrat off of his recent successes, but it's definitely a good step up for Mendoza to see if he's he's ready to streak up the division.
2: Yeah, and is 27. He's only had two UFC fights, 13 yeah. fights total. I think a a sideways step this early in his career is fine. Like, yeah. it's it's not doing him any harm. More more time to develop is uh is can't be anything but good for him. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a
1: flyweight bout, Alan Nascimento, Carlos Hernandez, and uh Yeah, this is I don't know this is this is gonna be
2: mm-hmm.
1: this is gonna be kind of messy, uh-huh. I mean, I don't think Carlos Hernandez can have any other kind of fight no the you know he he is a fighter who he wades in looking to create contact and then will just kind of go wherever the fight needs to go off of that contact. If you let him take you down, he will take you down and get on top of you and try to out grapple you. Yeah. If you if you want to take him down, you know he'll be prepared to scramble and fight his way back up. Whatever it is, he will hang in. And, and if you just want to stay standing, he'll just scrap with you inside. You know.
2: Mm-hmm. I I like a lot of what he does. I think he's yeah. a craft he's a crafty fighter, but he is not a dude who has a plan.
1: No. And he's you know he's not a very good athlete. No. Uh and He's not a powerful athlete either, a powerful fighter either no. with really sharp technique. So there's not really any one thing he can lean on to get him through a fight. And he fights like he knows that. He fights like he's somebody, you know, who feels like they got to do a little of everything.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would actually say, like, again, some of his technique is is pretty good. Yeah. It's just that, like, the the only structure that works for him Maybe this is circumstantial. Maybe this is a case. It's very likely where, like, this is a fighter who would really benefit from like a big camp. Yeah. Where uh, he has just, a coach like tailoring his game plans and his preparation for him.
1: And 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 even just getting him a lot of the strength and conditioning and that too. That kind of stuff that a big camp will offer to
2: make up that gap. Um, yeah. But as it is, like the only structure that. M- that makes his little specific good techniques like his left hook for example the guy puts some good combinations together mm-hmm. and has a I really like his left hook honestly um it's a it is a reliable follow up to the right hand he has a couple different ways of setting it up but like the only structure in which these things are possible is to keep the fight messy because yeah he's not like fast enough or well prepared enough to uh to, like, to, to, to build a, a different kind of winning strategy.
1: Yeah. On the flip side, you've got Alan Nascimento, who has a really very strong grappling game and a good attacking grappling game as well, uh, who absolutely, you know, if he can get top position, he will take it and he will use it. Uh, if he's on his back, he will attack constantly from his back. Mm-hmm. And he can be a big problem for a lot of guys who think that they can grapple with anybody. Like even Tajiro Lambakov had a lot of trouble with Nascimento just because mm-hmm. he kept thinking, oh, I'll just I'll I'll dive in on top of this guy and take a top position, and that'll be fine. And he kept having to fight off actual submission threats.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Being that guy. It also means that he can lose some close fights because he's going to give up positions. He's going to be attacking. He's going to be trying to create. And he's not he's he is a willing striker who will throw things. But it's, you know, he's the BJJ kind of strike willing striker of like, Uh I will throw things that will get me in trouble because I think that if it goes to the ground, I'm in my element.
2: Yeah, trouble's fine. Trouble means falling down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think though that that is going to work really well for him against Hernandez.
2: Yeah, he just seems too big, too <laughs> just too strong. It and and just
1: seems too likely that Hernandez is going to initiate exactly the kind of offense yeah. that Nascimento
2: wants. For Hernandez, the whole thing is letting whatever phase is going to happen happen. Yeah, or making it happen, trying yeah. everything. Yep. So yeah, I got to pick mm-hmm. Nascimento. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's a shame. I mean, it is just how it works. It's just that I, yeah. I, I, I do like Hernandez. I, I feel like love, he's a guy love with cats some... We like Hernandez. Yeah, and I feel like he's got some untapped potential that just um, may never actually be tapped because it quite possibly just involves getting a lot more money than he has. Yep.
1: And, you know, it's always too, like, he seems like the kind of dude who... You know, found a way into fighting like probably you know not off a wrestling background or anything like that, just maybe always wanted to be a fighter and is figuring it out as he goes mm-hmm. and has a good head for it, but is learning everything else is along the way, mm-hmm. and it's hard not to root
2: for those kinds of dudes, yeah, of course,
1: odds on the bout. Nascimento is a solid favorite, opened at minus 190, dropped to minus 300, is currently down at minus 353. Carlos Hernandez opened at plus 165, jumped up to plus 282, is currently at plus 274. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Daniel Argueta against Nick Aguirre.
2: Mm.
1: Now, I haven't actually, I forgot to actually look. I'm going to look now, but if Nick Aguirre's nickname is not Wrath of God, (laughs) it's not. Then he what like, what are we even doing here, kids? Come on.
2: What is is that a reference to that I'm not getting?
1: It's really you too. It's
2: uh, one of
1: Werner Herzog's
2: most famous movies. Aguirre, the wrath of God. Oh, well, you know me, huge Werner Herzog fan. I I did see that movie he did together with David Lynch starring Michael Shannon, which is really bad, despite seeming to have all the ingredients of a really cool movie. Yeah, that's not, you need to watch a few Werner Herzog movies. It's called, it's called My Son, My Son, What Have Ye Done? Oh, Oh God. It's really bad.
1: (laughs) Watch (laughs) some good ones. There are many good ones. Aguirre Wrath of God is one of
2: them. I've seen some good ones. I saw, uh, I saw the, 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 the Steamboat one. Fitzgerald. Yeah, I've seen Fitzgerald. Okay. So you're, you're starting, but anyway. Slick Nick Aguirre. I'm not here for it. No, lazy
1: Nick. The Wrath of God Aguirre. It's just right there. Yeah,
2: it would be sweet. Right? Come on. But then anyway. Daniel Argueta's nickname is the Determined, <laughs> which sounds like a horror movie that is coming out in two weeks. <laughs> that sounds like a January horror movie, the Determined. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. This fight sucks. Um you know like daniel argueta is you know fun given the right kind of matchup he he got completely trashed by damon jackson he's one of the few guys damon jackson has fought who just uh aside from you know as you said in the in the main card vivi like getting opportunities that everyone gets to nail damon jackson in the pocket Mm -hmm. uh he just got swamped by him for the entirety of the fight otherwise yeah and is like um you know like a kind of slow stiff striker uh just kind of awkward overall and and then Nick Aguirre or Aguirre is uh uh um is like a completely raw prospect yeah with zero meaningful experience so yeah. I don't know what to make of it. Like I I've seen fights of his where he just walks up to the opponent who just instantly corners themselves. And then it's like one, two into a shot. And I'm like, Oh, that's yeah. a good looking, you know, I just said earlier, good moves are good moves. Mm-hmm. That was a good move. But, uh, you know, I can't take that too far. <laughs> like I yeah. didn't do anything to stop you. Anything.
1: Yeah. His best win is four and two Brandon Clausen. Mm-hmm. Who's, best win was 9 and 15 Carson Gainey you know he 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 beat a guy who wasn't even good enough to be a can crusher uh uh uh-huh. and like that's his best win to date
2: fought a guy named Van Vo <laughs> <laughs> i'd rather do this than cover the rest of these
1: fights that that once again <laughs> if you're if you're van vo, it's got to be vincent no it's
2: vincent van vo no he's the van tactic, tactic vo. vo huge what? missed opportunity right huge missed opportunity come on what about like, yeah, like starry good night or something? Come on, give him some play on the name,
1: yeah, give um, us something. We don't ask for a lot here
2: I mean I don't I don't know I, I'm gonna take this is gonna be a pure experience pick because Argueta has some meaningful experience. I'm gonna pick him, yeah, um, but I I there's so little to go on here that Yeah, it's... I mean the big thing for
1: me with Argueta is that he's another one of these fighters who I actually think his punching looks pretty good in the pocket. Yeah, um, getting has, to
2: that range is an awkward
1: yeah. process. he doesn't ha- he doesn't do anything else. He he's actually a pretty good wrestler when he's mm-hmm. on top, uh, as well. But he's so focused on punching in the pocket. It's you know I am <laughs> talking about like the Damon Jackson knowing, James Jackson knowing know how to create the conundrum of, what it, what is this person gonna do? Are they gonna strike or are they gonna shoot?
2: Uh huh.
1: Like. All Damon Jackson had to do was walk up on Daniel Arghetta and wait for him to to start throwing punches and then duck under and take his back. uh-huh. It was just always gonna be there because Argueta was always gonna be trying to do the one thing, yeah and uh you know, you go watch his fight against Ricky Tercios in tough that he lost, and it was a good sprawl and brawl performance from him for two rounds. And then Tercios shot on him and he, like, jumped guillotine. Yeah. And that's a huge concern over, against somebody like Aguirre, who's really just going to go in there and shoot and try to make something happen.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He does it basically instantly whenever he can. Yeah. Which is always, because, again, nobody he's fought is good.
1: Yeah. But I'm going to still pick Argueta. For two rounds against Tercios, he was able to just sprawl and punch He's a good pocket puncher with mm-hmm. some solid power when he gets that fight. Um and Aguirre is just so monofocus untested. Mhm. Uh but yeah, it's just not, you know. It, this is e- could easily be a 3 round like if a can't get takedowns mm-hmm. and Argeta can only punch in the pocket this could be the ugliest three round fight
2: uh huh
1: like if this stays at kicking range for some reason brutal yeah um but yeah i got to pick Argeta just on the little bit of extra experience he's had via tough via that fight with Jackson how did they
2: uh, do this though? How did they manage to find in the UFC a featherweight fight that I just do not give a shit about? Yeah, right. What is this doing here? Yeah, I mean, for our our get- uh, to
1: his cr- uh, to his credit, he lost in tough, and then he went out and he won three straight fights yeah. in LFA, and he won two of them by finish. So he and he 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 won the bantamweight title. In the third one, so mm-hmm. it, it was definitely one. It was one of those things where you know he was a minor title holder from a feeder league, who had already been on the UFC's radar. I can see why they brought him in, and then uh,
2: oh, this he was be suppo- a short. Yeah, he short. was
1: supposed to face Isaac Dulgarian here, I see. and they brought in Aguirre on very short notice. Okay, uh, this has been made on just uh, like. Three or four days notice, so that's an even bigger reason to pick Argetta. Yeah, for sure. Odds on the bout: uh, Aguirre is a opened at plus 285, jumped up to plus 410, is currently a plus 410 underdog. These odds just opened. Argetta opened at minus 350, jumped down to minus 500, is currently a minus 569. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Jimmy Flick, Charles Johnson. And um, I'm glad to see, well, you know what? I'm actually not glad to see Jimmy Flick back. I will say, I hope this is what Jimmy Flick wants to be doing. Mm -hmm. Because uh, when he retired that was kind of a pretty sad story like i don't know if you remember anything about his i don't really run up to the UFC so he you know he's a guy who's been out on the regional scene forever uh started his mma career back in 2010 mm-hmm. and fought was just a road dog fight vet out on the regional scene and this is exactly the kind of guy i want to see on contender series mm-hmm. got contender series got a big win and uh, then got to the UFC and got that huge flying triangle win over Cody Durden mm-hmm. and then retired. And a big part of the reason why is that like his dad and I think his brother are both addicts and his dad had been a huge part of his like getting into MMA and training and been a big part of his like you know his journey to becoming a pro fighter, mm-hmm. and he kind of had hoped that like becoming a getting to this level and winning here would sort of bring them back to him, oh boy, and it it didn't, and he was just like, you know there's not there's nothing left for me here now, and he walked away mm. and uh
2: well, I I would like to believe that maybe that's was not his only reason. Probably a crushing disappointment. Yeah. Um, but he has, according to Tapology, he has been trying to get a fight booked since but basically within four months after that retirement. Because he had one booked against Francisco Figueroa. No, that the, was he retired, and that's what canceled that fight, actually. And then he had one booked. Um, Oh, he had one booked for this card. It was Jeff yes, Malinka, and that got changed. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. He retired, and that, that canceled the Yeah. Thing. I vaguely was... remember the retirement. I did not recall the reasoning. Yeah. yeah. And it's,
1: I mean, it's better than a lot of the reasons guys retire. He had a job to go to. He was making, you know, he, he had a, another life he was living. He wasn't injured. He wasn't. You know, it was just like, I don't feel the fire for this anymore, kind of retirement, which I always love to see. I'm always just like, great, do something else, like make a different life for yourself, you know? And so he's coming back and maybe the the, the fire has been rekindled. Maybe now he's doing it on his terms. Maybe it'll all be better this time around. And, uh, you know, I hope so for his sake, because he's got a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a fun fighter, too. Yeah, he's a really fun fighter. So, I'm just, you know, I always cheer in MMA retirement. Mhm. So, I'm a, a little I have a little trepidation about seeing him come back. Anyway, yeah, fair enough. Uh was it otherwise me on this one? Yeah, this is you. Okay. Otherwise <sighs> um this fight against Charles Johnson is going to be really tough on Flick. Johnson is low output um and not you know he's he's also one of those fighters who is kind of a bit like Javid Bashrat, not as slick as he thinks he is. Mm-hmm. But I think I mean it was a good sign against Jalgas Jumagulov that he came out and
2: both men came out and really pushed a pace. That fight was awesome. It was. It was a really completely unexpectedly good fight. It was yeah. a very good fight. And it was yeah, J who got robbed, by the way. Um Jumagulov yeah. <laughs> showing all the improvements, you know, his in his own little Dan Ige arc. Yeah. Just continually getting better while just never winning any of the decisions. Yeah. Uh that was like the culmination of that UFC career process for him. And Charles Johnson really impressed me because he responded in kind. And I had yeah. I had gotten so used to the idea of him being completely just like doggedly low output and passive. Yeah. And now he fought back. He fought his ass off. Yeah. And
1: uh You know, one of the big things about Johnson otherwise, if he can find that fire, because that's Mm -hmm. been the consistent missing piece for him, Mm -hmm. is that uh, he is not an easy fighter to outgrapple at all. No. He had that fight with Mohamed Mokaev, where he got taken down 12 times, but he spent most of that fight standing. He spent most of that fight standing against the cage with Mokaev draped on him. And Mokaev is a much more athletic and dynamic wrestler than Flick is.
2: Yeah, he's he's very Bobby Green-esque, Charles Johnson. like a, Yeah. Just a younger, much less experienced, but he kind of has that mindset. And it took yeah. Bobby Green forever to kind yeah. of you know, consistently shake out of it. And... He has an awesome nickname, by the way. Charles Johnson. His nickname is Energy. Yeah, that's a better one. <laughs> he's got that. He's got that G
1: Wait, in it. Guys, the bar is not high. Energy no. and rabisti have been like, yeah, huge, like head and shoulders above <laughs> most of the nicknames. Just the, the
2: stupidest pun you can think of is better than <laughs> what yeah. most of you are out there doing. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, and, like, I went back and I watched his fight with Brandon Royville mm-hmm. that he had that he lost at LFA 48. And he made, you know, a lot of a lot of what lost him that fight was just Brandon Royville's insane uh, self-belief in his striking ability. Mm-hmm. And willing to pour on volume standing. Because grappling, it was very 50-50. Mm-hmm. And Johnson got a lot of good positions, got out of a lot of bad positions, and was able to just have a really dogged fight with Royville. Mm-hmm. And if he can do that with Flick, Flick striking is bad. It is bad, yes. It is a very much, I have learned just enough to keep me from getting hurt while I try to get to my grappling. You know, I went back and and watched his uh, Flick's fight against Ray Rodriguez in Extreme Fight Night 356, 2019. And there was like a 30-second piece where Ray Rodriguez is just teeing off on Flick while he's up against the fence covering with his hands
2: uh-huh.
1: and then double legs his way out of it. And it's just – it's the kind of stuff that is only going to fail regularly at a high level mm-hmm. so i'm gonna pick johnson here
2: i mean two flicks benefit johnson does seem to be a guy who only actually pushes the striking advantage like he's probably had a striking advantage over a lot of the guys he's fought in the right circumstances you just don't yeah. see it that often which is why yeah. i was so impressed with what he did against Shimagulov, yeah um, and why I make the Bobby green comparison, like he, he is an inherently passive fighter uh huh, and has to kind of be made to fight well. It's true. Um, and it's also possible that, that Jimmy flick being such a weird grappler could net him a few more opportunities than most of the guys Johnson's fought, who he can just shut down their, their shot takedowns and stick and get them stuck in the clinch. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, I'm not I was super impressed with Johnson. I'm very curious to see him. I, and, uh, you know, I always like these guys with like weird, good, good games, but strange psychological hangups. Yeah. Are always interesting. But he definitely has those. Yeah. And um, in a fight where it seems like he should be able to go out there and toy with Jimmy Flick, I don't really expect him to.
1: And it's true. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying this is necessarily going to be an easy fight for him. I
2: don't. No, I don't really see how Jimmy wins. Yeah, so, I'm not thing. sure I really see how he's going to lose either. I will also pick Charles Johnson. Okay. Um, because he does have just built-in advantages, but I, I'm not sure it's going to be very decisive one way or the other. In fact, yeah, if it is, it seems more likely that it is because Flick pulls out some miracle submission.
1: It's true.
2: He, he more, does yeah, and Lord knows I didn't pick him to flying triangle Cody Durden either. Like, that no. should be way too skilled a wrestler for him to have any chance grappling him. And yeah. Still, he found a way.
1: And uh, it, that, to me, has also made this line really wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnson opened at minus 134 and dropped straight to minus 445, and is currently out at minus 358. Yeah. Jimmy Flick opened at plus 114, jumped up to plus 316, is currently down at plus 279.
2: A lot of get, people haven't watched two seconds of Charles Johnson fight footage except for that last fight.
1: Yeah, because like, I get that Johnson uh, – I get that Flick's been out for a while. I get that he's got losses on his record, and they're not always to the best opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, but Charles Johnson – you know he has losses too, and you could argue that like he, you know, if he that he didn't win that Zhuma fight, yes. and he that that Carlos Moda fight was basically dead even until late in the fight when he got the TKO mm-hmm. at, in the fifth round. So a lot later than it would be in this fight. Yes, and otherwise Johnson is not beat anybody with any real notable record yeah you know uh i'm really just going off the fact that i went and watched that rival fight and i was like okay his ability to not get just totally like grappled to death by mm-hmm.
2: uh by rival yeah
1: no by well by uh magmed uh, by muhammad mokayev okay. that was not a fluke that is something that like it is a it is a go to part of Johnson's game that he is hard to outgrapple.
2: Yeah, and I think it's because he's inherently defensively minded. Yeah, which is why he doesn't take many risks unless he you know has to. Yeah,
1: but it, these odds should not be wide. No, no, absolutely. Johnson is not a definitive winner of a lot of fights. Right. And Flick is a dude who can be getting his ass handed to him and come back with something wicked that people don't don't expect at all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, a dude who has not just a flying triangle, but two two arm triangle chokes, th- actually three arm triangle chokes, a shoulder choke, mm-hmm. guillotine, like just a dude who and actually has another two and a Von flu choke from earlier mm-hmm. in his career, like just a dude who if he gets a moment, he can find something, you know, that nobody's looking for.
2: Mm hmm.
1: All right, that brings us to our final fight of the card. Priscilla Cachoeira, Sahara Eubanks.
2: And, Weirdly varied uh, as like the two established UFC fighters. Yeah, Just no kidding. Way down at the bottom of the prelims.
1: And, and two fighters who, I mean, well, honestly, I was going to say, you know, maybe not Eubanks all the time. But honestly, they both tend to have pretty exciting fights. Oh, Eubanks.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: What if she's winning? It's usually because she is aggressively pursuing her fight and like going after people with takedowns and ground and pound.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if she's losing, it's usually because she's getting her ass whipped.
2: Uh huh. So. Yeah, and this is a great benchmark fight for her because cause Eubanks has she she has shown uh, a lot of new skills
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, over her last three or four fights. And um, this is a great benchmark because, like, I-, I won't say if she can't find with, with this new tactical depth this- and this new technique she has, I won't say it would be, like, completely embarrassing to, to lose to Cashwara but it it should it be a little be embarrassing, embarrassing, right?
1: Yeah. cashwara like, has definitely made a- some big improvements, mostly yeah, just the kind of, like, just the kind of improvements that time brings. Exactly. Yeah. Calm, patience, uh, the ability to fight f- with with power for an extended streak to not yeah. get t- gassed out immediately,
2: to not just be freaking out the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. But her her technique has not gotten better really, um, and her style has not gotten any like cleaner or more consistent. Her she yeah. her, she wants to have a mess. Mm. Hmm. And uh, Eubanks is, like, capable of being a smart, strategic fighter. So the only reason I won't say, like, it it, it is going to be difficult. Eubanks doesn't want to get into huge, messy exchanges, and she's going to have to weather at least a few. Yeah, um, She's probably going to get hit hard and clean a couple times, but she just has way too many options and has gotten too good at connecting the different phases of her game together. Uh, Has gotten... Too good at defense and counter-punching, frankly. I mean, starting from basically zero, but still, yeah. she's got some to, to lose this fight.
1: It is awfully worrying that she went out there in her last bout against Melissa Gatto, went out, yeah. got the immediate takedown, got on top of Gatto, could not, and like, had banked two full rounds of that, yeah, and could not progress to anywhere to actually... Start really turning the fight against Gato beyond position. Yeah, and then got wrecked the moment Gato was able to get up and get space and time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gato is better at getting up and better off her back and a better grappler than Cachoeira Yeah, all of which makes a huge difference. But Cachoeira is also the kind of fighter that if if she does get a chance to get up, she can absolutely wreck. 100%. Eubanks, you
2: know. Yeah. But the the plan to beat her is very simple.
1: Yes. And, and it, you know, and Eubanks did go out and
2: immediately take Gato down from body lock, like first. Yeah. First thing that she did. She should be, uh, and and she's not a lock is the problem. I'm not sure, but yeah. she should feel like a lock to win this and go in there and crush catch win on the ground.
1: Yeah. I'm going to take Eubanks as well, but, uh, uh, you know, it, I would, I, I will be interested to see if Cachoeira if, uh, can win a fight like this. She's got, mm-hmm. she's developed, like I said, just when you have her kind of power, just even developing calm and patience is a huge game changer, you know? Mm-hmm. There there are not many women at 125 pounds who can knock other women out. If you have the patience to just hang out all fight and be powerful all fight, mm-hmm. you can create opportunities, you know? Mm-hmm. There are plenty of fighters in that division who can be positionally locking a fight down for two rounds and still just be as totally torchable by a, a striking exchange in the third round as they were in the first. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to take Eubanks as well, but Cashew has made herself interesting in this division. She's gone from carnival sideshow to, like, mm-hmm. interesting... You know, a, a, a problem fighters actually have to solve.
2: Yeah. Eubanks opened it. Carnival sideshow to carnival sideshow that gets to eat her lunch outside. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she's presentable enough now that they don't just keep her in the tent the whole time. <laughs> oh, you took my terrible metaphor and you made it worse. I'm just saying, it. it's an honor to be allowed to stand in the corn dog line. <laughs> <laughs> You know,
1: you speak from experience. <laughs> she the day that that. You were no longer JoJo the
2: ape boy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a happy day. <laughs> uh, yeah, she earned it though.
1: Eubanks over at minus 160, it's currently down to minus 248. Uh, Cachoeira opened at plus 140, it's currently up at plus 200. All right, we're going to wrap things up on that. No, you can find me on Twitter at These ain't Sam, you can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts over on Bloodyova Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And we'll be back in one week's time for UFC 283 Teixeira versus Hill. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you then.
0: the Level Change Podcast. The MMA Vivis section The 6th Round Post-Fight Show. 6th Round Retro. The MMA Depressed Us. Crookland's Corner. Exclusive Fighter Interviews. Show Money. Guest Podcasts. The Hey Not The Face Podcast. And Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at BloodyElbow. Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com